Last week we heard a sermon preached from the fourth chapter of Mark. It was the story of Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee to what was effectively a different country, a foreign land, the place of the Gerasenes. And on the way across the water that day, a great storm arises and Jesus calms the storm. He calms the fears of those in the boat. Today we turn to the fifth chapter of Mark and we read another story of Jesus calming a storm. Only this time it is the storm of life. The storm that has visited two people there on the other side of the lake. Let us listen now for a word from God, reading from the fifth chapter of Mark, beginning with the 21st verse. Now when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And Jairus pleaded earnestly with Jesus. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now a large crowd followed, and they pressed around Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, all the money she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his cloak because she thought if I just touch his clothes I will be healed and immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and he asked who touched my clothes The disciples answered, saying, You see the people crowding against you, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came, and she fell at Jesus' feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they had come to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion, a great commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Jesus went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. 
After Jesus put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in to where the child was, and he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Jesus gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give the girls something to eat. Friends, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our sermon today is titled, Joining the Crowd. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we pray that you might come and join this crowd assembled here. That you might move in our midst, that you might stir in our hearts a fresh word from this old story. That we might sense and know where it is you are leading us, that we might reach out to and touch the hem of your healing cloak. Indeed, O God, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts might be pleasing in your sight. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In addition to being what is perhaps one of the longest stories in the lectionary, it occurs to me that this is an especially jarring story. I've sometimes wondered if we shouldn't put out on the church sign on certain Sundays a warning of sorts, something that says, caution, the verses read in this place on Sunday might unsettle you a bit. Maybe that's the point of the scriptures. Regardless, the subject matter of this story, or these stories rather, may hit close to home for each and every one of us. There's something in here that I suspect we can all relate to. Perhaps you relate to the suffering described in that nameless woman. Years of an illness or disease. Maybe you also know that added layer of suffering when you go to doctor after doctor after doctor and finally they say there's nothing left we can do. Maybe you know what it feels like to experience that visceral kind of fear, that fear that only a parent can know, the fear for the health, the livelihood of a child or a grandchild. Maybe you know how those people gathered outside Jairus' house feel. You know that despair, that commotion that builds up inside you when someone or something you love dies. There's lots of other issues in this story as well that are not named explicitly but are certainly there just under the surface. There are things that maybe touch you, things like infertility or shame or social alienation. Maybe you hear a story like this one and you find yourself asking that question, will I be healed? Will the person I love be saved? 
Maybe you know what it is like to stand on the other side of those questions. Maybe you've asked those questions, but now you know that the person you loved was not healed. They were not saved, at least in the sense that you had hoped or desired. And so you're left asking another question that this story stirs. Why? Why this woman? Why Jairus' daughter? Why not me? Or my person. There's a lot that we can touch and relate to in this story, but there's also this undercurrent here of profound hope, of restoration, of a God who literally brings dead things back to life. And not just for people with names and power, people with titles and prestige like Jairus, the synagogue leader but also for nameless, for unclean, for socially outcast people, for people like that unnamed and powerless, unclean, social outcast woman. When we take it all together, I think that we do a disservice to this story. I think we actually even risk doing harm with this story if we read it and we simply boil it down to being a story that peddles pedestrian answers to hard questions. If we read this story and our best response is, well, if you only have enough faith, if you just pray the right prayer or if you just pray enough, then you'll be well. For lack of a better term, I think we all know that's bunk. We all know too many good and faithful people who are gone from us and from this world. We all know also too many unrighteous people that sit upon the very pedestals of power in this world. I think we do a disservice if we simply leave this story at that. Instead, what I hear in this story is the gospel writer of Mark inviting us to join the crowd. You see, a lot of the commentators who read this story, they point out that this is perhaps the best case study in one of Mark's specialties. Mark, of all the gospel writers, loves to sandwich stories inside each other. Right at the beginning of this story, we're hand in hand with Jairus and Jesus. We're on the way to his house, but suddenly we stop and we have to unpack and encounter this entirely different story. Mark loves doing that and he has a point when he does it. His point is that you can't fully understand the point that's being made if you don't take both stories together. You can't isolate one from the other. You miss the fullness of God's love and mercy if you just go with Jairus to his house. If you don't stop first and meet this unnamed powerless woman, then you miss this entirely different depth of God's love that goes along with the healing of Jairus' daughter. In the same way, I think Mark then is inviting us to take our own stories, the stories of our lives, of our world, and to slip them in between the verses of Scripture. To bring our own stories, our own world, and see what happens when we reach out and touch the hem 
of Jesus' cloak. Will you try that with me for a moment? I read this story this past week about a woman named Maria de Los Angeles. Maria and her six-year-old daughter lived in a Central American country. Her husband, Manuel, had left three years earlier, heading to the United States to find work and send money back to the family, but they had not heard a single thing from him since he walked out that door. Maybe he was dead in a desert somewhere. Maybe he had just abandoned them. They didn't know. Regardless, Maria and Gloria were left all on their own. The neighborhood they lived in was controlled by gangs, gangs that thrive in some of these corrupt countries, gangs that thrive on a drug trade that has a bottomless pit of desire because it all heads here to the United States. The gangs knew Maria's situation, and so they took advantage of her. They forced her to cook for them. One day while Gloria was at school, a drunken gang member came into Maria's house and assaulted her there. Gloria came home later that day and found her mom near motionless, weeping in bed. And she stayed that way for six days. Little Gloria had to clean and cook and care for her adult mother in that time. It was during that time that Maria resolved that they too would flee. They would head for the United States, seek out Manuel, or at the very least, they would find work and security here. She sold her house. She sold what little belongings she had to raise money, and they boarded the train of death, La Bestia, the train that cuts up through the center of Mexico. It was a long journey. It was a dangerous journey. Every day, Gloria asked her mother, not understanding why they were taking this journey, she begged her mother, Mom, can we just go home, please? Please, can we go home? When they reached the border, the coyotes, they yelled at all those crossing, and in the dark of night, they were forced to wade across the Rio Grande. Maria didn't know how to swim. She clutched Gloria to her chest, praying for dear life. Miraculously, they made it. On the other side, they were met by Customs and Border Patrol agents who almost immediately separated mother and daughter. Maria cried out for Gloria, and all she could hear was Gloria crying out for her mommy. Wet and shivering, they were taken to two different facilities that night. All Maria could ask was, where is my daughter? Now, Nancy lived in that community where Maria was taken. She was an attorney, and she gave of her time and service to those who were housed in that facility. It was that first day Maria was there that Nancy met her. Maria just kept asking, where is my daughter? Where is my daughter? Nancy knew then that she would help Maria. She knew then that Maria had no one else in the world to help her, and so she resolved to find her daughter. Week after week, she came back. Week after week, she served. Twelve months later, twelve months later, Nancy found Gloria. She had been sent to a children's facility in Sonora, Mexico, and Nancy went there, and when she got there, she found this child who was sick, 
This child who was skinny, this child who could barely get out of bed. The doctors told Nancy, we've tried everything. Nothing we do seems to work. Nancy went to Gloria's bedside and she knelt down and she told her, I know where your mother is. And Gloria sat straight up in bed. She said, she's very far from here, Gloria, but I'll get you to her. And Gloria cried. She cried right there in that moment. And they hugged. And Nancy explained to her, Gloria, you have to eat. You have to get strong if you want to see your mother. And at the end of their visit, Nancy got her phone out and they took a selfie, her and Gloria. And the next week she was back where Maria was being held. And she went to Maria And she said, Maria, your daughter is okay. Here, look at this photo. And as Maria looked at that photo, she felt a power course through her body. She felt life vibrate in her veins. For the first time in a long time, the bleeding of Maria's heart, it stopped. And Maria cried. She cried there in Nancy's arms. And Nancy told her, very soon, Maria. Very soon. Power coursed through her life and her veins and the bleeding of her heart. It stopped. It reminds me of a letter I got not long ago from someone in our church who wrote to tell me how their circumstances lately had left them feeling like the woman in this story. They wrote to say, Alan, I feel like that woman crawling through the crowd with no strength, desperate for just a touch. They went on, though, to talk about the fact that they had felt that touch. They had felt that touch right here, and the place they had felt that touch was in the invitation to the table, that glorious table. That's how they described it, an invitation to that glorious table. They had felt the very touch of Jesus. They said it was in the invitation to a table where all are welcome, the powerful and the powerless the religious people and the unclean outcasts, the people with names and bank accounts and the strangers just getting by. At this table, they felt Jesus himself bending low and getting in their face and really seeing them, seeing them for who they are. They were not physically healed at this table. The troubles that they faced, the circumstances that left them afraid, they did not magically dissipate. But at this table, in that invitation, strength began to return to their bones. Hope began to creep in. Hmm. Where are you in the crowd this morning? Where are we in the crowd 
this morning? Are you the woman crawling, trying to get just a touch? Are you the parent who's willing to do anything? Are you the little girl lifeless inside? Are you the people wailing at the door? Are you the outcast? Or maybe are you just a curious onlooker hoping to maybe just catch a glimpse of God's grace? I confess that I'm some mix of all the above today. The reason I'm some mix is because today is a very different day in my life and in the life of this church. This is the first day in 20 years, 20 years when this congregation gathers without Bob Brearley as one of its pastors. You know, for me personally, it's incredibly humbling, it's overwhelming to be the pastor of this church following Bob's retirement. But I realized in forming this sermon, for whatever reason, the words that I'm preaching today were really hard to come by. About this time yesterday, I was literally slamming my head against the desk, I think. And the reason I finally realized that these words were so hard to come together is because today is also sad. It's sad for me, and I think it's sad for us as a church to no longer have Bob as a pastor. I think it's sad for our staff to come together and worship this day without Bob as one of our leaders. Don't get me wrong, I'm excited, I'm hopeful. There's incredible momentum in this church. God is on the move, is in our midst. But today, it's kind of sad for me to turn the bulletin over and not see Bob's name on the back. It's kind of sad for me to walk into his office and see shelves that are empty. So it's also deeply appropriate. It's also so right, so good, that today, of all days, we are invited to the table. Because it's here at this table, it's in that invitation that we are reminded that we are all part of a much bigger story. A story of a God who gets down in our face and sees us and loves us just as we are. A God who meets us in our joy but also seeks us out in our suffering. A God who wraps God's arms around all of us and whispers in our ears soon. Very soon. In a moment, we'll be invited to the table. But I want us first to simply hear that invitation once more. To hear God's presence with us today. To hear the assurance that no matter where it is we are in this crowd, God is with us there also. In the invitation, hear the opportunity and the invitation for us too to reach out, to touch the cloak of our God, 
and to be healed. So friends, come. Come to this table today, whether you have come often or you have not been for a very long time. Come, you who are like Jairus, you who have positions of power, and you who feel like no one sees you. Come, you who have great faith, and you who would like to have more. Come, you who have tried to follow Jesus, and you who have failed. Come. There's room for us all. Come and be healed. Amen.